Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. <laughs> Today we are we're doing a, a super fandom talks fandom cast. We're finishing up the turtles. You're making it sound like it's a funeral. Like uh, a, it is a funeral. Like you're giving a eulogy. It is a eulogy. <laughs> is everybody out there we're excited? We're discussing the final two Michael Bay produced. Turtle movies. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows. We've shoved both both of these together because, quite frankly, I do not have the strength to do two separate podcasts. (laughs) With me and enjoying this way more than I am are the vaunted EIC, Jacob Vance. Hard to see, Jacob. How are you? I don't care. And... Also, Al Mattingly, the red lanyard, who is just, who is gleefully taking some sadistic joy out of the fact that I had to watch these two movies. Al, you doing all right in Lexington? I'm, do- I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Okay. This this is also, we, we, want to, we want to thank our Patreon subscriber. I for, don't. For, for I do not. Asking us to cover every Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. This is uh, Josh uh, Hicks's role. I'm going to roll up to him and throw a $20 bill in his face and be like, this wasn't worth it. <laughs> and we, we'll see what happens. We, in fairness, we, there, are, there is one more Turtles film we could do. Which one? Batman and Ninja Turtles. We could technically. We do that could do that. To. We could. I, I, let's, one. That one might. We, but that's technically that was more of a DC thing than it was. Yeah. Well, well, well down, down, down the road. But down it, it road. might be something we, that might be good. I, uh, I've, I'm, I've, uh, I've actually been very intrigued by by that. I think that was kind of a fun. Uh, I've seen the fight. They show the fight between the Shredder and Batman quite a bit on videos, and it looks pretty cool. So I'd actually kind of be down for that. But uh, but let's let's get through this stuff. Yeah, let's get through this. Let's yeah. get through this stuff and uh, move on. Um, so basically, what happens is at the end of TMNT, uh, TMNT didn't did did well, but not that well. And so you have a few dead years with the Turtles. And what's interesting about this movie, what I've always found extremely interesting, is at the time this movie's going on, there is a vastly superior Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon coming out on Nickelodeon um, that that has nothing to do with this movie, which is so weird to me. Nothing at all to do with this movie. Uh, and, and follows way closer to the storylines that... that you know, people have been used to for at this point, 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so due to the success of that, that show was a wild success. It's still kind of a success. If you've, uh, uh, if you knew Nickelodeon all-star brawl came out this past weekend, mm-hmm. they actually have Leonardo uh, and Michelangelo from the, their iterations from that show are in that game. They did use April O'Neil from the 1990 version, which is kind of strange, uh, kind of weird, but anyway, whatever. Kind of but would make more sense if they said <clears throat> they said alternate costumes, right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't know. I think. I think people just they have a very mm-hmm. uh, distinct idea of what April O'Neil is. Which, if you go in this movie, probably that 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 idea is going to take a hit a little bit. Um, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but anyway, you had a you had some success there. Um, they're selling lots of toys, and because they're selling lots of toys, somewhere Michael Bay starts to sniff money. And around that time, around the same time that you have this, uh, the TV show doing real well, Michael Bay decides coming off of the um, 
coming off of the wild success of Transformers that he wants to reboot something else. And he decides Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, is the way he's going to reboot. Pop quiz. Do y'all remember the first controversy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when it first came out? Because there was a statement about what it was going to be. And do y'all remember what the statement about what the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were going to be and what the controversy was? Do y'all know? I do, but I'm wondering if Al does. Al, do you know? Um, I'm not sure, because that stuff was really under my radar at the time. Uh, was it how they looked? Because I know that was unpopular. How they look is an abomination, but we'll get to that in a second. But Jake, do you know? Do you know why? Why they were? Uh, why it was um, controversial? Initially, they were going to be aliens. They were going to be aliens. They were going to be uh, mm. aliens. Um, um, mm. They were supposed to <laughs> literally come from a different planet. Um, some of this might be taken a little out of context. There is a sense of. Um, I've off from the quote I could got from Michael Bay on this. I kind of wonder if he didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, well, no, let me rephrase. I know he doesn't know what he's talking about, but I kind of wonder if they told him, like when the script writing was happening, uh, there's an alien goo that turns these turtles into mutants or, and that makes them ninjas. And I kind of, I kind of wonder if he was just like, Oh, cool. So they're aliens. Um, you know, so there's, there's a sense because after all this came out and there was a big controversy, uh, Kevin Eastman came out and talked about how he was like, well, in a sense, they are aliens because the, the mutant is an alien form, particularly in the comics, comes from Dimension X. I don't want to get too much into it. But, like, so there's a sense of that. So I almost wonder if Michael Bay just misunderstood when he said that. Anyway, that was a huge issue. They pulled way back on that really quickly, and they were like, that is not what is happening in this movie. Um, you know, and so so that was our first hint that this first movie was not going to be uh, quite up to the standards that we have seen already. Um, and then the other thing was they originally were just going to call it Ninja Turtles and everyone got really upset because, and, and, and this one I actually understand because the whole concept of just being able to go the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, those are four words that shouldn't go together. And that's kind of the audacity of it. Um, so if you just take that out and just go Ninja Turtles, it's still, you know, ridiculous, but it's not, it's not as crazy. Um, so, you know, they, so that was a huge uproar. And so they were like, okay, fine. We'll put the Teenage Mutant in there. And then I kind of wonder at that point, if they have had those two uproars, if they were just like, you know, I don't know what to do with this movie now. Let's just film a bunch of stuff and see what happens. Um, which is a, which is a direct possibility. So, uh, you know, with that in mind, we do get this movie. It comes out in 2014. It has a budget of around 200. Well, I saw 180 million. It makes 450 million worldwide, which is pretty good. Pretty good. Um, It does way better overseas than it does in America. Way better. Um, Because there's just not as much turtle stuff overseas, in my opinion. I, I imagine most, I don't know many turtle fans that like this movie. Um, so it'll be interesting to see you're all, I think if you haven't gathered my opinion of this movie yet, I'll, I mean, I will definitely go a little more into detail. I think the first movie is, is one of the worst things that's ever happened to a property I love, uh, ever. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just really, really bad in a, in a lot of ways. There's not a whole lot of good in it. There's like, cause I, it, it, it's so bad that I would literally turn to Jake and say, that that was decent you know when we were watching it 
Um, and so there's like maybe three or four scenes that I kind of liked, and then everything else is just really horrible. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say this real quick, and then we'll get your all's opinions on it. But here's one thing that I never want to see from a turtle again. I never need to hear an erection joke from a turtle ever again. And I'm just going to leave that out there. Just let that be stated. And hopefully the right people hear that so that the next time we do this, we don't have to have that happen ever again. So, so basically like if the fandom correspondents ever get off the ground, your one hope is that the one thing we have added to the world of fandom is that we have ended all TMNT erection jokes. Yes, right? yeah, I would hope uh, that's, that's the one thing. That, that, that's fair. Like, yes. if, if we do one I'm, thing... I'm actually, honestly, like, because we're thinking about, you know, getting a booth at Lexington Comic Con, and I, last night I literally thought to myself, I was like, I'd give anything if we just had a shirt that said, we do not support Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle erection jokes. <laughs> you know? Um, because that, that happens within the first 15 minutes of this movie, and it's just... And it, it sets the tone. I mean, it sets the tone for the movie. Like, that scene, not to get ahead of ourselves, but within that scene, that's the scene where we have the Michelangelo, and it even happens, like, when she's knocked out. So it's like, you know, they're, they April O'Neil gets knocked out, so you got Michelangelo go, you know, my shell's getting tightened or something. I don't know, whatever he says. And then you've got, then you've got Raphael being a thug. Then you've got Leonardo basically threatening her, saying, like, don't say anything or we'll find you. Find you and do what, Leonardo? You know, you know, and so like you've got like, I mean, it, it's just a really horrific scene if you're a turtle fan. Like everything that happens in that scene is just there to to kick your you know childhood in the nuts, you know, and then mm. move on. Like that's all that happens in that scene. Um, but anyway, so but that 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 is that is we'll talk more about that, Jake. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how did you what did you think of. <clears throat> Teenager Manager Turtles. I, I got to be honest. If me and Al just stopped talking, I would thoroughly enjoy you just ranting about this movie for an I hour and a half. I bet you would. But, uh, but you know, I will. Uh, I will go ahead and uh, say a couple things. Um, <clears throat> I remember watching this movie probably about the year after it came out uh, with my mom, and I remember that even. Mom wasn't overtly difficult to please when it came to, like, action and superhero movies. Like, there were a lot... And that's not to say that she liked bad movies or anything, or that she didn't have good taste, but when it came to a lot of action and superhero movies and things like that, Mom was typically just... If 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 it's fun and I can enjoy watching it, I'm good. Like, like her favorite movies were, like, Avengers and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. Two very, very fun, you know, just sit down, watch, and enjoy kind of movies. Um, this one doesn't have that, um, except for one one pivotal scene where, like, it, it, it kind of took, it kind of just turned, and I was like, okay, they, 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 for, for like 20 minutes, they remembered how, they remembered what the turtles were supposed to be, and that's the, like, the snow escape from from like that facility i think is i think it has there's a lot of fun in, in like the the big truck like careening down the mountain uh them sliding on their shells and everything just it's it's there there's a lot of fun in that scene um the problem is is that like you get there then you have the the elevator beatbox scene and then after that you're just like okay that was 
that was like 15, like 15 to 20 minutes of this movie I actually enjoyed. And then everything else happened. Um, so, so yeah, no, I'm, I, I really did not like the first movie at all. Um, and, 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 and for the record, despite me, um, and enjoying how, enjoying just how angry Josh is at this movie, um, I, I, uh, I also hate, uh, TMNT erection jokes that that never needs to happen um, ever, like just ever. Um, <clears throat> and and it because it's unnecessary and, you know, and and and, and like you said, it, it does set the tone. Like it does set a very odd tone because you have that and then you have like threatening thug esque turtles and it just does it doesn't work, you know, and this. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where I'm at. Al, you said last night, 12 minutes into this movie, you were excited to talk about this movie with me. All your dreams are happening as we speak. <laughs> Would you like to tell me what you were excited about in this movie? <laughs> I, would, I would love to, Josh. <laughs> um, um, so this, is my, this was my first time watching this. Um, I've never seen it before. I'd seen the second one before, um, but um, I never seen this one before. Um, I love so. The reason why I was excited to talk about this with Josh is that I knew that Josh would hate it, and that's not some like super sadistic streak in me of just like, ooh, I want my friends to be unhappy. But I knew it would be entertaining to hear you talk about it because I knew what about it you would hate. And and as you say, it sets a tone really early on with the rooftop scene um, with the turtles in April because um, from watching all of these the last few months and doing these podcasts with you, it's become very apparent to me that the, the one reason why the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have been so popular is because their characters are really are really easy to enjoy. They're very they're very likable characters, um, and like in all of the movies up to this point, they always had had something going on with them where they would like crack some jokes or do like a silly goofy thing or a dance or like or something like that. And you just be able to smile and just be, and you just be like, oh, oh, Raph and Michelangelo, they're just they're just a bunch of rascals. Look at them enjoying life. And then you get to the rooftop scene of 2014's movie, and these guys are the most unlikable characters I've ever seen. <laughs> and and it's it's incredibly because. Again, I never watched this movie when it came out, but I remember it. Um, I remember it being advertised and making the rounds um, among my friends who were also um, who were also nerds um, along, <laughs> alongside me and into various stuff. And the memes that were coming out around that time, like the theme of the meme, if you will, ooh, I'm rhyming today. But like the central theme of this kind of stuff was, oh, they're going to do a super dark, gritty reboot of insert, you know, obviously 
wholesome, silly thing we grew up with, right? Like there was jokes about like, oh, they're going to do a gritty reboot of, of you know, of of Teletubbies or or, or the Explorer or, or Blue's Clues or whatever it was. And like the way that that meme was like spoken into existence with <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2014 is incredible because that's really what they did with this. They're just like, we're going to take this thing people love from their childhood. We're going to take this wholesome, really just, you know, kick back, pop open a soda, just enjoy it with your buddies. And we're going to try to do this super dark, gritty thing. And it's just, it sounds like, it sounds like a skit idea from SNL almost of just like, we're going to, yeah, you know how, like how everybody loves the turtles. Cause they're all like zany and silly and, and stuff. And, and like, they always have these wholesome adventures with each other. Just like, yeah, they're going to be super aggressive, both physically and sexually. And then, <laughs> and then, and then they're going to be super broody and super mad at each other all the time. And people are going to yeah. love it. And it was just great. So now I'm, I'm excited to hear how you kind of deconstruct this because it's such, I think more than anything else I've seen, this was such an antithetical approach to a property that I've yeah. ever seen. I um I yeah everything you're saying is 100 correct and and normally so if you've listened to all these so far um one of the one of the things you deal with that we've been doing has just been the same questions over and over and over again um I want to take kind of a different approach here and really kind of dissect this movie uh just kind of piece by piece now i I don't want to spend hours on this um because no one should spend hours on this but i want to start at a very basic thing about the teenage mutant ninja turtles an extremely basic concept of the turtles and that is with master splinter um master splinter this is this is not hyperbole at all is one of the most beloved characters in all of fandom um he he holds a really like he he's he's on a, he's on a pedestal in a lot of ways you know there's he's kind of he, he's he's kind of the 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 millennial nerd yoda in a lot of ways because that's where he's at you know if you if you're my age you know star wars i, I got into star wars a little after um a, a little after i got into turtles uh with turtles master splinter was a character that is the heart and soul of the whole thing okay um they this is extremely prevalent in the 1990 movie um it's very prevalent in the 2007 movie even though i had some issues with how master splinter like i didn't understand why he sent leonard away and stuff like that um in hindsight though yeah it's golden (laughs) yeah yeah seriously so i don't know if there's ever been a character that i have and and, and th- th- this this even goes with like Batman in in uh, uh, Batman First Superman. Oh, okay. I don't know if there's ever been a character that they have got that anyone has ever gotten more wrong than Master Splinter in this first one, because I don't understand how you go from um, Master Splinter is I'm teaching you so that you can help people, you know, so that you can save 
other people so that you can help this city so that you can also fight in a and, and that's another thing which i'll get to but like changing the origin of splinter in this removes a lot of stuff um because you know part of it is that splinter is one of the only people who understands how dangerous shredder is and they never really explain why he understands how dangerous shredder is in this movie just that he kind of randomly knows that there's this guy named shredder around um but they but the way splinter does things in this movie and the fact that he's like you know like i mean essentially what happens is is that the first thing that the first thing you know about splinter is that he is physically abusive to the turtles that's the first thing you find out about him okay then the second thing you find out about him is that whoever's whoever wrote uh paul kent in man of steel wrote splinter in uh ninja turtles mm. because you know he does because when michelangelo is like the foot we're taking hostages he's just like he doesn't go oh i'm sorry my sons obviously you needed to save the hundred people that were hostages you know in new york he goes this is horrible we've gotten april o'neill in trouble you know and so like nothing like you so so right off the bat we've got a splinter who is physically abusive and does not care about um, and does not care about innocent people in New York. We also get the point, the the way I understand, you tell me if I'm wrong here, the way, the reason he trains the turtles is so that they will, they will be able to protect themselves when they go out more so than as opposed to being able to protect other people. Because the whole point of this is like, I know they're going to want to go out at night. So if they go out at night and people don't like them, you know, they might they might need to protect themselves, or at least that's how what I took from it. Y'all can correct me if I'm wrong on that. And then the final thing is, is I do not understand why you would, and, and, and I don't understand why this wasn't a a like. I guess in 2014, I guess we just be, we just weren't at this point. But why were we not complaining about the fact that we took a character, I understand it's a rat, but we took a character that's canonically, you know, a Japanese ninja in every iteration, and then all of a sudden got Tony Shalhoub from Monk to play him. I don't understand why we, why, and, and it, it's the worst voice casting I've ever heard in my life, because he's just, every time he's on screen, every time he says anything, it takes me out of it. And and I, I kind of suspect that they figured this out in the second one, because he's only in the second movie for like eight minutes total, probably. He's only there to be like Leonardo, be a better leader, and, you know, and then just kind of, and then like to beat up Stephen Amell. And other than that, you don't really see him in that movie. So like, yeah. So, he does so, just kind so, of vanish, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. So I kind of wonder if they knew... Like, like, God, like they, if they were like, oh, my Lord, we cast Tony <laughs> Shalhoub as Splinter and then gave him, like, a contract? You know, we can't get out of it. You know, like, wh what did we do here? And so they're like, I guess we're just going to write him out of the movie. I kind of wonder if that was the thing. Um, but that right there, to start it off, Al, you've, you've had the least experience of, of Turtles of all of us, okay? Um Talk a little bit about the whiplash of going from Splinter in 1990 and going through all these movies and getting Splinter in the 2014 movie. Talk a little bit about that. Um, sure. Um, so, um, again, I don't have the emotional ties um, to TMNT that you all have, but um, I've definitely been able to build um, an appreciation for Splinter and for a lot of the characters um, in TMNT. 
um, over the last few months that we've been doing um, this series. Um, I do know that when I watched it um, last night, I marathoned <laughs> both of the films the night before we're recording right now. Um, I watched it last night and I was watching it and I was just like, okay, I wonder what like, you know, they're back in the sewers, they're back in their home. I wonder what like Splinter is going to be about. Um, and then um, I get slapped in the face by Splinter showing up and just straight up, I forget which one it was. It might've been Raph, but just straight up choking one of the turtles with mm-hmm. his tail when he finds yeah. Him. And you know, if it if it was Raph again, I forget which one it was, but if it was Raph, I'm just like, well, that's why he has anger issues. Like yeah. that <laughs> makes makes it perfectly obvious. Um that was wild. Um it really was. Um I didn't realize it was Tony Shaloub until the credits rolled. Um, if I'm being totally honest. Um just because I'm not I don't think I'm used to hearing Tony Shaloub voice a lot of stuff is i mean is he a voice actor very often i i can't think of much that he's done there's you know i know mostly from wings and from monk right yeah Uh, so so interesting um i mean i re (laughs) i recall him primarily from um the film 13 ghosts which is a very enjoyable film oh yeah Uh, i forgot about that yeah yeah. yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it was just like I saw it, and as I reflected on it, watching the rest of the film, because I'll be honest, there aren't a lot of scenes you really have to be that invested in to get the gist of the first movie. Um, I remember just kind of reflecting on it and just being like, "That that really that really bothered me." Like it's mm-hmm. it's one thing to see them like sparring. And Splinter give them just like a good nature, just like um, head bop with like his staff and or something like that. But um, but there was an odd kind of, as you said, there was an odd kind of abusiveness to his character, which was really weird. Um, and like surprisingly unsettling when I watched it. Um, but, um, yeah, it was very odd. Um, and as you said, uh, going from, um, the voice performances for the last, um, few films, um, where he was voiced just incredibly well. Um, um, and even in the cartoons, um, that I've seen as well, I feel like he's always been very well, um, voice casted. But um, yeah, it was an it was an odd choice. <laughs> it was an odd choice, uh, for sure. And um, and this kind of ties into something you might talk about here in a bit. But um, I also thought it was very odd and kind of unexplained um, why Splinter um, had such a more detailed recollection of their time as um, experiments in the lab than any other turtles did because like he quotes what happened. Like he narrates those scenes just flawlessly. Um, And I was just like, Oh, that's, that's weird. He really, 
you got a really good awareness of what's going on. Like that's that's pretty impressive. And um, so yeah, it was it was odd. I do I did take comfort in his depiction in one thing though that apparently if I ever have problems um, trying to raise my children in the future, I can just teach myself how to how to be a world class ninja just by reading a book. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited for that. Excited for that. My favorite part is an option for me. The best part about that is when they're like explaining how the Ninja Turtles are world class ninjas. The only thing they say is, and here's the thing: I don't even need an explanation on that. Okay, I got, once again, I'm in a I'm in a movie called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I'm watching. There's our. I, I'm. You've already got me. Okay, but like, I guess they felt the need to be like, and you know, they they picked it up really fast. You know, they're like. They, faster than i would have expected and i'm like that's really unnecessary dude like i mean the the the, the mutant turtles picked up the martial arts quickly like they're good at, okay all right i'm already here guys like i mean you don't have to <laughs> but but to, to your point and like uh, the only thing i though to answer your question although it's not answered the only thing i think of is that splinter's canonically older than the turtles the turtles appear to be uh really tiny baby turtles um, which is, which honestly, one of the scenes I liked is watching the little baby turtles get tucked into bed. Uh, that was, that was adorbs. Um, you know, but like, that's all I, that's all you see out of the turtles is that, you know, they're, they're babies and I guess Splinter's an adult and that's why he remembers things. Although once again, an extremely flimsy concept going on there. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's unsettling. It, this, 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 this is an unsettling depiction. Um, Jake. Um, is this the kind of splinter that you can see, like talking to Danny and trying to get Danny to go back to his family after he's been beat within an inch of his life, but he still cares about people? No, no, this splinter would be like screw them kids. I like, think he kind of would. Yeah. Every. No, I. Like okay, the before before I get into that because I did want to mention this. Like on one hand. Like the ninjutsu book is they just found they just in the, the, the sewers. Like, yeah. like that's that's like, once again, like I, look, it's teenage mutant ninja turtles, okay? Like I'm willing to suspend disbelief. But they found a ninja book in the sewer and he's just like I mean the yeah. I I'll readily admit I I'm I'm going to suck like about hypocrite because them reading and learning from a book is entirely just insane to me. Instead of him being in a cage and mimicking his master, you know. But okay, here's the okay, thing: but hold that on. makes way more sense to me. Not, not, not way more sense. But okay. But th and th that's a problem I have with this. And this, this goes back to this movie doesn't just fail the turtles; it fails in basic movie making principles. Okay. All right. Which one was more interesting to you? Both of them. Listen. Both of them are completely out there, okay? They are. Both of them are just completely nuts, okay? All right? But you tell me which one you cared about more. Was it Splinter sweeping up and finding a book and being like, I'm going to be a ninja now? Or was it Splinter's master getting killed and then little baby Splinter being like, I'm going to avenge him and clawing Shredder's face, and that's why Shredder has a scar. Mm -hmm. Which one of those is more interesting just from a just from a storytelling standpoint? It's the second one. Exactly. So, like, there's very basic rules here that they threw out, and I don't understand why you would throw that out. Like, I don't I don't get that. I, like, 
of all the things to try to be more realistic about, you know, and you're once again in your teenage mutant ninja turtle movie, <laughs> of all the things to try to be realistic about, why is that the one you're going for? That doesn't make that that, that made no sense to me. It did. It still doesn't make any sense to me. Does the I can't remember. Does the 1990 version like go into like how his master had like a love interest and that's what set them apart? Okay, so and... so so the 1990 movie. Okay, so there's 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 the 1990 movie does break away from the cartoon. Mm-hmm. Okay, it goes with the comics. So in the cartoon, Splinter was once a man, and he kind of he kind of turns into a, a rodent the same way. That like Bebop and Rocksteady do. Okay. okay. See, I thought that's what it okay. was. But so, yeah. but in the in the movie, they go off the comics to where Splinter was just a was just a rat um, that you know had loved his master and his master loved him. And yeah, there was there was a lady that got between uh, Orokusaki and uh, I can't I can't remember Hamato Yoshi. Hamato Yoshi, thank you. Him. Yeah, good job. The guy <laughs> between uh, him and and those two, um, in the in the cartoon, I, I remember this distinctly. Um, Homata Yoshi uh, is cast out because uh, Rokusaki sticks a knife in his uh, in in his cloak, and when this famous uh, 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 Japanese lore comes, everyone is able to bow, and he can't bow, and so they think he's being. Disrespect, uh, disrespectful, oh. and they cast him out, and that starts the fight between the two. All of that that's sounds in the so cool. And okay. This, okay, but anyway, <laughs> all of that, every every bit of that is way more interesting than the I'm sweeping a floor while the turtles are listening to Holla Batgirl, and I find a ninja book, just a, a book about the ninjas, and I learn how to fight as a ninja. Um, it's just, it's very, it's very basic storytelling elements that are just ignored in this. Um, Al brought up, I, I kind of want to shift here off of, off of Splinter, although I could spend the rest of, of this talking about Splinter, but I don't want to. I, I don't okay, blame Splinter's you. just bad. He's just Splinter bad. Is just bad. And it's sad. Yeah. And it's just really sad to think about because, you know, these movies hinge on this concept of Splinter you know, A, wanting to help the turtles, and B, wanting to help the world outside. Also, I have no idea how he survives, because they're, like, trying to get the mutagen, then the mutagen, like, smashes, and then somehow they're still able to save him at the end. So I, I don't, the, the entire, the, the whole, the whole, every, okay, everything about so There's that, a point where they're like, he, they, we need to get more mutagen so we can save Splinter after he got the crap kicked out of him halfway through the movie. By the guy that he has no actual connection to, which was still annoying, even though he knows well, the Shredder. Well, every, everything about the backstory was weird to me, because you've got this, you, you have this thing where, um, you have this concept where April O'Neil's father, okay? All right, the first, what we learned from Splinter is that April O'Neil's father finds out what Sax is going to do, and then just his, this world, this this extremely intelligent worldly scientist his concept is just arson with my daughter just in the building gonna... okay and then like that's what he decides to do and then then later on sax is like no i shot him and i'm just like what what 
Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand, you know, and they never explain the difference. And then they also want to explain, like, even though she's there, they're just like, and then, and then April showed up and just was like, well, I'm going to carry these four turtles and the, and the rat out. And like, they don't like, you know, how did you pull that off? Why couldn't your father leave? Why you you were, you were more concerned about getting the turtles and the rat than your father? And I'm like, I'm, I'm happy you did, but like everything about that is weird. Okay, it's like it. This is this is called writing backwards. Okay, which sometimes works. Okay, but like this is one of the problems with having a point and not knowing how to get there. So like they were like, we don't want to use what we've used before. Okay, well how do we get there? I don't know. April knows father burned some stuff down. She's randomly there, saves everybody. There we go. That's how we're there. Just ride it. And let's shoot it and let's move on. And that's what they did. And so now, once again, I have to sit here and have questions about, once again, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie. Because these are not issues that you should be thinking about in this movie. Because when I go to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie, I want to wholly invest myself into some zaniness. And now I've got a question like, what? Why did? Why did? How did April O'Neil get get him out? You know. And also, why is April O'Neil's father got a death wish? You know. And also, could this? This is the best part. Okay. And you, you, all, I, I, I'm gonna turn it over to you in a second. Okay. Let's just list all the other ways that April O'Neil's father could have handled the situation. <laughs> flash drive. <laughs> just, just a flash drive. <laughs> Camera phone, camera in general, okay? Rent, rent, renting a camera, okay? A Polaroid camera. Like, I'm just thinking, like, there are so many different ways you could have handled that situation other than burn it, burn it off, okay? All. Like, I, it's just like, there are so many different ways, but the problem is, is we have to get from point A to point B, and we don't know how to do it. So this is how we're going to do it. We're going to take April and his father. We're going to turn him into a an, an, into an insane person, okay? Who's willing to kill his own daughter, I guess, in order to keep all this stuff out. And that's how we're going to get from point A to point B. And that is a and that that like I can already hear you know somebody's gonna be like, well, you know, it's just a turtle movie. I don't know why you care so much because it's very basic movie making stuff. That the first movie in 1990 did not have this problem, and they did it on a tenth of the budget okay so like i don't understand why you can't just have a very just a very the the ideas that you set forth in the first one i don't understand why they don't transpose into 2014 okay because if the idea of like having a ninja sensei doesn't transpose in 2014 then guess what else doesn't transpose in 2014 ninjas in general so like i don't understand why you can't just superimpose that onto this it would have made for a better movie it would have made more sense to your point, Jake. I still don't know how Splinter and Shredder know each other. You know, just like Shredder's not an enemy. Splinter the just randomly says that Sax was raised by a by a uh, by an evil warlord, mm-hmm. and I don't know how Splinter knows that. Was that in the Ninja Book? Was the Ninja <laughs> Book written by Shredder? Because then that would make sense, but like it's just not. It, I, I don't know. It, it's anyway. Okay, I want to move on. I want to move. I, I said I was going to move on from Splinter. I'm mm-hmm. moving on from Splinter now, <laughs> because then our other issue is that, as Al's already brought up, the turtles are uh, horrible in this thing. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't like any of them. Um, mm-hmm. There's a very early part when they're thinking about going out 
where Michael, where like they're talking about like what they have to do, and Michelangelo goes, "Guys, it's a cat playing chopsticks with chopsticks." I smiled at that part. I did not smile again until they were beatboxing in the elevator. That is about an hour and ten minutes of movie that I did not enjoy at all. Okay, so so. So I, I, the question I have for you, and this this is just where we can go. Um, Al, you can go first, and then Jake, I want you to pick a different different one. Al, which turtle did you find to be the most off putting, either in general attitude or just in how they looked? You know, however you want to look at it, which turtle did you find to be the most off putting? Um, you can only pick one. Yeah, you got you only got one. You only pick one. Okay. Um, then if I can only pick one, I'm going to go with probably Michelangelo. Um, just because like, I don't know how common this is in various versions of the story of TMNT. I know it's like, it's like, it's happened before, like offhandedly and like a couple of throwaway scenes I've seen of like, of like a couple of the cartoons um, and maybe a couple of the movies too. I forget, but Michelangelo is so horny the entire time in this movie. (laughs) And I get, and I get that they're teenagers and it's, and it could possibly be a funny thing of just like, oh, you know, hormones and teenagers just like, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're going to be like awkward and, and preoccupied and stuff. But that's the thing is that when Michelangelo is talking to April O'Neil, and I mean like pretty much every time he talks to her, is that he he isn't being the kind of usual teenage horny that happens in the real world, right? Because, like, usually with teenagers, they see a girl they're like, and they're just, like, very, like, embarrassed, and they're kind of shy, and they say, like, awkward things, and they blush and things like that. (laughs) Michelangelo is, like, confidently horny the entire movie. Every time he talks to April, and it's weird, it's super weird, and it's super super off-putting because he never stops. Like that's the thing; he never, like, if it was like a one-time thing where like he says like a flirty line to April and stuff, and it's just like all oh, it's like it's whatever, you know, the rascal, Michelangelo, it's whatever. Like that would have been fine. Even if they had spaced it out, like, oh, he's going to be kind of flirtatious twice in the movie. You're just like, oh, okay, it's kind of like a recurring theme and stuff. You know, he's he's never seen a girl before. You know, he wants to be, like, you know, all flirty and stuff like that. That's fine. But, like, every time he opened his mouth to April, he was, like, saying a suggestive, flirtatious thing to the point where I would not want him anywhere around my teenage daughter. Like, like if we're being super real, which is wild because, like, again, they're supposed to be hero hero characters who are easy to love, 
zany, over-the-top antics, all that good stuff. And Michelangelo is so, like, I want to trademark that phrase because it, it describes him so well. He's so confidently horny the entire movie. And it's wild, and I got so tired of it by the end of it. Yeah, like, even up to the final scene where they're driving away in their in their van and he starts to like sing the song and stuff. If, if that had been the first flirty thing he had done in the movie, it would have just been like, okay, like that's kind of fun and cute. But with his history up through the movie of being so sexually aggressive to the only female character in the movie, I'm just like, Oh my God, dude, stop. Like, it's like, Josh, you want to appreciate this comparison. It was like, I was transported back to college and was hanging out around all the weird um, patriarchal (laughs) Bible theology students that I went to school with when they were talking to girls. Like it felt, it felt so constant and so oppressive every time I witnessed it. I was just like, Oh my God, it it needs to stop. (laughs) Well, and and, and to, to your point, like, the thing is, like, because it's not, see, you know, he's kind of that way in the 90s when, I mean, but, like, there's a big difference in in how he is in the 2014 one, which is very gross, and then the 1990 where he's like, I'm going to impress April O'Neil by doing my Humphrey Bogart impersonation. Like, there's a giant level of difference. Uh, in, in those two things. One of those is immediately more endearing. One One's more endearing, <laughs> but also one also adds this concept of, I have not gotten out that much. You know, like that's the point. Um, this one doesn't add to that. This adds to almost like incel levels of issues that we're bringing up, which once mm-hmm. again, stuff I never want to talk about in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle <laughs> film ever. Okay. All right. But like that, but that, yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I think, I think you make a very good case as to who is the most off-putting turtle in this film. But let's see if Jacob can do any better. Jake, who is the most off-putting turtle in this film? I See, I would say Michelangelo, but since I... Since Al basically said everything I was going to say, right. I would you say about pick him, a different I'll one. pick a different one. Um, but I, real quick, real quick aside, I love and hate so much that the sentence, Michelangelo has been very sexually aggressive towards April O'Neil was a part of this podcast. Mm. I hate that that is a thing. I don't love it at all. But that is just... I hate everything about it. (laughs) I I do. Okay. Um, No, I'm I'm, going to pick a weird one, okay? Because one person who just did not follow at all throughout this movie, in my opinion, was Donatello, Okay. That's that's and I know that might be a weird one, okay? No, but here's the thing: weird you can really pick any of the four and just, <laughs> and just, and just kind of no, go from there. No. Um, so Donatello, <clears throat> he starts off and he's the he's the tech guy, okay? He's I was fine with that, you know. Him having glasses were kind of weird, but okay, I, I was I was kind of like, okay, you've got to you've got to pick something to differentiate them, which you know I guess that would work if they all still had red mask, but you know apparently they just forgot that they all had different colors. Um, and different weapons and so on and so forth. But whatever, they wanted to really just go into he's the tech guy and he has all the techie stuff and he also has glasses because he's a nerd. Okay, whatever. Um, There is a scene in this movie where, and I remember in the trailer, it's played off as a humorous scene 
And I remember thinking, like, oh, so this is, like, really early in the turtle's life lifespan. It's, this is weird. Where he goes, oh, my God, they have guns. Now, when I first saw that in the trailer, I'm like, okay, well, this is, like, the first scene in the movie or something <laughs> like that. No, this is, like... They've had guns the whole time. They've had guns Donnie's the whole time, <laughs> Donnie. Like, where have you been? Yeah. Um, and, like... This doesn't even get into the, like I, I don't even really want to get into the fact that apparently they're superhuman in this one, and there's a point where Raphael, like, well, they're just <laughs> does a pose, does a pose, and then sends all the bullets flying Look, back. Listen, they're hitting this show part. Like, it doesn't matter if they got all these like you got all this green fleshy part you can shoot at. I, they were just hitting this part of what, it. What whatever. Okay? That's that's fine. But just for some reason, him going, oh my god, guys, they have guns. Just threw me off a time. I remember it threw me off when I first watched it with mom, and that was seven years ago, eight years ago, something like that. Um, I remember, and it threw me, and it threw me last night because I remember thinking about that line specifically these past few years, being like, one day I'll watch that again, and maybe it'll make more sense this time. No, it doesn't. It it makes just as little sense this time. Um, but uh, but yeah, Donatello just. I, I don't know, just the, everything from the design to, like, everything else. Like, the only, the, I, 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 and I was wondering if they were just going to, like, start reusing things for Transformers. So, like, I was wondering if they were just going to do a scene where he looks at Michelangelo and does the ratchet thing where he's, like, by sisters, uh, says that he wants to mate with the female or, yeah, or something weird know. like that. Like, which, once again, didn't want that in my Transformers movie either, but, I mean, it makes a little bit more sense because at least they're both human. Um, cause in this, we just get to like some weird, like really weird, like bestiality kind of, kind of stuff going on, which I don't, uh, not, not, not a fan. Um, because like, like you said, like in the, in the old ones, you could be like, oh, it's just kind of, you know, funny flirtations and this one it's, it gets weird. It gets really weird. Um, but yeah. Um, but real quick, while we're also talking about that scene before we, uh, the, the snow scene, um, before we move on, there is one really weird moment um, that happens. So Raphael is fighting Shredder. Hold on. Oh, I don't want to get there yet. Because okay. Actually, we this has been this is great. We can discuss this later on. Okay. Because now I get to do my most off-putting turn. Oh, excuse me. Okay. Yes. And I, what's amazing I is that to do it. Okay, what's amazing me. is that we then get to discuss Raphael as a group. Because mm. he dis- deserves discussion. That's, as that's a group. true. Yes. But Leonardo is ridiculous in this movie. Okay. I want you guys to tell me at any point in this movie where you thought he was learning how to be a leader. Quick. Fi- just find me a scene. Uh, oddly, and God, this is so weird. Buck Buck? Michelangelo suggested it. I knew you were going to say that. Huh. Al, you got anything? I don't I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing there. So here's what we so here's what we're told about Leonardo. Okay. We are told he is the leader. Okay. Very early on we learned that Leonardo and Roth have issues because Roth thinks he should be a leader. I'm okay with that. That's in every iteration every of all version. of it. Okay. All right. Part of part of Roth has to understand to be a part of a team. That's his thing, okay? I am perfectly fine with that, all right? Leonardo, though, the whole point of this is, like, he's supposed, by the end of this movie, 
you should be like Leonardo has proved himself as a leader due to his strategy, due to his ability to understand the abilities of all of the turtles. Okay, you, you should you should be that. And what's amazing is the second movie realizes they didn't cover this in the first one, so they shove all that into the second movie so that they can grind that movie to a butt screeching halt. Okay, so like. The first movie has none of that. So instead of what we get from Leonardo is we get someone who, so like there, there's a part where like Michelangelo is trying to like jokingly threaten uh, April O'Neil on, on that, on the rooftop, you know, and then like Roth kind of threatened her and Leonardo stops Roth from doing it, being like, give me or we'll just take it from you. And Leonardo's like, we don't, we don't do that. And then Leonardo gives the scariest threat of all the turtles the one that's supposed to be the smartest one, the one that's supposed to be a sensible one, the one that arguably is supposed to be the most moral of the four of them is the one that makes the statement, if you tell anybody, we will find you. Okay? So this is our this our this is our leader. This is this is our this is the guy we're looking to. Mm. Okay. All right. This this is our leader of the turtles. Okay. And he does nothing in this movie. Of, of any type of, of consequence to, to be a leader or whatsoever. So, yeah, he was extremely off-putting to me, okay? But Raphael deserves special recognition. Jake, real quick, you've known me your entire life, okay? If I was to write a turtle fanfic, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be the tur three turtles get captured and Raphael has to go and save all of them and kill a bunch of foot soldiers to do it. Yeah. Wouldn't that be the Josh <clears throat> fanfic? You would, you, Wolverine alone, Raphael alone. Yeah, exactly. Those, those are the two storylines so that you love. How did this do. movie ruin that concept so badly? Um. Well, so one, um, we haven't even talked about the humans in this movie, but that's we don't really have to. Um, that part is kind of annoying that they yeah. have to, he has to get, well, you know, okay. I'll, I'll tell you real there. quick. Well, Arnett's fine. And we'll talk about Megan Fox here in a second. We will. Okay. Um, so, the, so they have to get, you know, the, him there. And then he doesn't really do a whole lot until like, like he doesn't really do a whole lot. Like, like, yeah, he, he takes out a few of the guys, but I think you were the first person to say it. I hate how they fight. Because, like, every scene is just him just using, like, strength and just, like, pushing and everything. And then Shredder destroys him, basically. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then that leads to what I was about to say on the snow scene is he's like, my shell's cracked. And then I was like, oh, okay, so he can't do any of the snow stuff. Then he does the snow stuff, and I'm like, okay, well, he's not going to do anything you know, super dangerous. And then the coolest scene of the snow thing is when he sling is when Donatello slingshots Raphael into the car, yeah. but he hits full on with a shell. So yeah. I'm like, so Raphael's just dead. In just... fairness, he did say tape it up. <laughs> that, uh, you know, you know, you're right. You're right. He did say tape he it up. Tape he it said up. tape it up. You know, we have heard the shell crack crackling underneath the stupid robot samurai shredders foot the entire time you know just yeah anyways um yeah no you for some reason everything about that scene is, is wrong like and i don't really get exactly why i don't really know exactly why it just does not work well um the the, the scene with Raphael saving them not no, no, not, not the snow like, like i said the snow sequence isn't too bad but so one of the things that i, I read about this movie is that they they wanted they didn't want it they didn't want straight they didn't want the turtles to be straight martial artists. 
Um, Why? Even though in the they're called the ninja name turtles. of the turtles is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Raphael's fighting style is supposed to be that of, and I kid you not, a rugby player. But it makes sense. I mean, I mean, within this movie, it makes sense because all you ever see him do is like throw himself into people. Um, he uses his size very sparingly, even more sparingly than he does in the first two movies, which was very sparingly to begin with, because uh, I did find out later they were scared that people would take like that kids would take like uh, steak knives and like try to be sized with them. And that's one of the reasons why he didn't use them that much, um, which may, which is which at least is like. At, at, at least there's like a moral reason to it but in this one like i don't think michael bay was like i i, it, I don't want a rash of steak knife killings on my on my mind so like but instead like so, so instead though you get you get a you get a real sense of of a of a brute you know and that's what he is in this movie and like that's just Raphael in, in, in all of the in, in all iterations Every single iteration is is not it's it's not he's not a powerhouse. He's literally the most skilled fighter, like in all iterations and all of them, yeah. like just all across across the board, um, you know. And so, like when you when you turn him into essentially Bane, which is what he is in this movie, I think you really lose a lot of the character because now the character isn't. You don't get a character who really care like in, in the first movie you got a character who really cares about being the best, okay? Which is why losing a sigh drives him crazy. Damn! Yeah, exactly, okay. All right. So like, you know, you, you get you get that character, okay? And like and so and and then the main issue he has with the reason he wants to take over for Leonardo is not out of jealousy or anything, or not just like disliking Leonardo, is like I don't think Leonardo's good enough to be a leader. You know, that that's a driving point. And this one, you don't get any of that. Just like you get Raphael being like, I just want to go off on my own, you know, just whoop to do to do. And I'm like, well, we already had a better version of that in the 2007 one, guys. We already we already covered this. So, like, I don't know why we're doing that again. Um, I should not hate Raphael in any turtle movie. And I hated Raphael in really both of these movies. Can we talk about his one defining trait, though? What's his one defining trait? That he has a toothpick. I, no, I didn't want to. I didn't want you to. Didn't want to bring up that. So for some random reason, he has a toothpick. So like, I, I, I had remembered this, but I'd already forgotten it. Uh, so like, they did. They they model him after Clint Eastwood. There's even a point mm. where he does the takes a size and puts mm-hmm. him in like Clint Eastwood, um, and like. Mm-hmm. I, why? I don't. I don't know. I don't know why that. I don't know why that. But should also, be we a get thing. we get no actual connection to that no, in the film. No, he doesn't ever like, like him watch Clint Eastwood. Anything Clint Eastwood. He's just like I'm just gonna have a I'm just gonna have a toothpick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but there's but there, and that that's what I'm talking about with off putting though. And like we could spend a lot of time on on this alone. Is uh, is it okay? Donatello, I'm sorry. Um, is it okay before we get off of Raph? Um, uh, I do want to talk about real quick. Um, yeah. the first. The first time that this movie made me laugh out loud was during the scene where they go to the subway and the foot are are taking hostages. And there's a there's a female member of the foot and I see her and I'm just like, oh, I wonder if that's Karai. And it is. Um, it's not. um 
officially said at that point that it's, it's Karai. But as I'm, I'm watching it, I'm just like, oh, I wonder if that's Karai. Because from talking about the 2007 animated movie, I know that she is like a significant character in the lore. So I was just like, oh, I wonder if that's who that is. And then right after I have that thought of, oh, I wonder if that's that like really important, um, significant character. Um, you see Wrath show up in the subway tunnel. You see him just body check the living shit out of her. And she goes <laughs> flying into the wall. The wall breaks. Yeah. And she just falls limp to the ground. And I laugh because I'm just like, oh, never mind, because Raph just killed her. Like, <laughs> Raph just straight up killed that woman. Like, it wasn't even totally clear that she was a member of the foot. Yeah. At that point, <laughs> he just shows up and kills that woman. So I got I got one really good laugh out of um, how they did Raph in this one. Um, just from that scene, because that was that really caught me off guard. Just him, just him, straight up killing Karat <laughs> in the subway tunnel. Well, it, it is. It's uh, their their power set in the first movie is all over the darn place. I, you know, like because like the first thing you see them do is they're kicking these storage containers yeah. into people. Just you know, which like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just full on storage containers, just like <laughs> kicking them into people, and I, you know, and I'm just, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like what can like, stop what, them? Exactly, yeah. At that point, it becomes it's different. It's like four Terminators just walking <laughs> exactly. around. But yeah, you're right. I mean, that's the yeah. He just gets body checked, you know, like ninjas do. You know, just body checking people. Um, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, and, and, th- th- but that's, that, I mean, that leads to, but, yeah, that, all this leads into this concept of the turtles being off-putting, uh, which doesn't really, And the, uh, C- the CGI's really bad. Yeah, know. well, and that's what I'm saying, like, that's not really fixed in the second one, even though I think the second one's, you know, I'm, it's better, um, I hated it a little more the more I thought about it, hmm. um, I'm, I'm typically like that. But the second one is better, but they still don't solve the problem of the turtles are just not likable in these movies. Part of it is because I do think, and this is weird once again, because like I'm some I'm someone that defends the CGI in the first Transformers movie. I think the, the CGI battles in the first Transformers movie are about as good as you're ever going to get uh, on on a for, on a movie level. You know, the the moment where Optimus you know, goes from being the truck, stabs the, uh, goes into Optimus, stabs what's his name, a bone crusher in yep. the head, and then goes back in the truck seamlessly. I could watch that 500 times and not get... Agreed. Yeah, and, and okay. And so, like, I was I was expecting, like, when I went into this movie, because understand, if it's not if it's not known, I, maybe I didn't mention this, I, this, this was the first time I'd seen these movies. I was expecting, oh, yeah. at the very least, at the very least, there would be some good you know, fight scene, some good choreography. And I would say it's about 10% as good as what's in the 1990 movie. Yeah. Where you have people in literal 100-pound rubber suits doing the fighting. And I'm just, it's amazing to me, like, how bad the fights look in this. Um, from from a from a guy, from not from a guy, because one's a guy, I got stressed again. Uh, Jonathan... 
Tim Tim Zabim or something. Like, I don't know. I don't know his last name. I know Dave Green does second. Leavesman. Leavesman. <laughs> Jonathan Leavesman. Jonathan Leavesman does the first one. And then Dave Green does the second one. What did Jonathan Timsman do? I don't know. I don't know what he did. But uh but anyway. Did he kidnap Jonathan Leavesman? <laughs> that, Is he the true bad. director? Yeah. <laughs> um but Jonathan Leavesman does the first one, Dave Green does the second one, but they're both under the direction of Michael Bay, who's it's under his production company and everything. So like it's a production company that's known for at the very least, you're gonna be like, Oh, cool, this stuff's gonna blow up real nice. Mm. And you just don't get that at all, except for the mountain scene, which once again is a cool scene. You know, it's like the only time where they're like, how can we, how can we make the turtles do something that's different than anyone else can do because they're turtles, you know, which I think is a, is a, it's something you need to figure out because the turtles are, you know, a, just the, just the idea of turtles fighting as humanoids is like, is, is a thing on its own. And the only time they just, they decide they're going to try and do something different with that is the mountain scene. But once you get through that, 10 minute scene there you're just stuck with really really bad fighting and just really bad action and like you know just just horrible and 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 part of it is because every time the turtle turtles are on screen i'm like what is this monstrosity because they all look ridiculous they don't like i, I don't know who thought to themselves like you know, because to Al's point, this is supposed to be the gritty reboot. So you mean in the gritty reboot, this th this is what you think the evolution of a turtle would look like if it if it became a bipedal and was able to walk? That's what you think it would look like? Because you, you, you've you missed some steps, man. Because, I mean, they they look horrible. And, 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 it's, and, it's, and it's, it's all the little things. It's, it's, the, it's the toothpick. It's the fact that uh, it, it's, it's just how they walk. I... The first thing I'll never forget seeing the action figure, and this was when I decided I wasn't going to see the movie. Donatello having glasses is the dumbest thing. I, I, I it's it's so stupid. Yes. I don't know how we've gotten an hour into this and not I, have discussed I it. it. Oh, I you mentioned it okay. Yes. <laughs> All right. It's just really, but but he's the nerd. So how are he's we going to tell him until he's the nerd? You know, you know, Don, Roth is the thug. So like. You know, he's bigger than all of them, you know, for the first time canonically. And, like, you know, Michelangelo's, like, you know, hilarious and stuff. So he's just wacky and just, like, you know, he's always, like, you know, walking around with his hands out. and crap. It's just, it's hard. Really sexually aggressive. And sexually you know. aggressive. It's just so, so bad. Um, Al, do you, would you like the honor of, we're going to take a real quick, like, a pretty abrupt jump into something else but would you like the honor of talking about uh swiss army knife shredder i would love to i'm so glad you brought that up yeah <laughs> so so anybody who's been keeping up with these you'll remember i talked about in um when we watched the originals um, I talked about how much i thought the character design of shredder was cool but also how cool the design of super shredder was because um, it was the first time I had seen it. Um, and we talked about that for a bit. Um, this this was, and I recalled this scene from when the trailer came out, you know, all seven years ago. Um, because I watched the trailer, and I remembered this scene, but seeing it this time was so much more ridiculous than I remembered. Because it's the scene where he first 
reveals the weapons in his suit and he's giving some kind of villainous monologue and he thrusts out his arms and two blades come out and then he thrusts out his arms again and then the overclaws come out and you're just like oh it's like kind of like the super shredder design and then he thrusts his arms a third time and like an entire can opener just pops out of the top of his gun. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yeah. uh-huh. like, oh, oh my god! <laughs> like, yeah. so he's gonna kill himself before he ever gets a hit off on, on Master Splinter. Like, that's that's so impractical. And it was wild because they almost like Shredder. Shredder was so ridiculous in this movie that it almost looped back around to me really enjoying him because you have him like throwing out these blades and just slinging hot steel at the turtles and splinter and then he just defies the laws of physics and does a little like vibrating edm thing with his gauntlets and they all come back to him (laughs) and and that actually results in kind of a cool scene where um Um, where Splinter kind of jumps off the wall and kind of like rotates and dodges the blades as they're coming back to Shredder. Um, And that was kind of cool. But, um, but just, just the image every time of him, like throwing out his gauntlets and just more stuff just piles onto his weapons that he has. Um, It was incredible. I do want to say one thing that I did unironically enjoy um about shredder in this um and one thing that really really bothered me the entire time i was watching it um the one thing i really really enjoyed though unironically is that the fight scenes with shredder and um the turtles particularly up on the tower at the climax of the film um i really enjoyed that they made him um kind of a grappler style of fighting because there's this really cool scene that sticks out to me where he opens up that tower fight and he runs and does a jumping kick where he kicks two of the turtles and before he lands he does a third kick on the other one um and i was just like oh wow that was like actually really cool that was really well done and then there's a second thing where i think it's wrath is doing like a flying kick at him and shredder like jumps up and like catches him in midair and like redirects him and tosses him and i was just like that's that was actually really cool it was one of the more unique um styles of fighting i've seen in a lot of action films um especially in the last like 10 or 20 years um because you don't see a lot of grapplers um in hiding scenes anymore which is a shame so i thought that was really cool um um, I do want to just say that I did think it was hilarious that just you have the Foot Clan, which is an order of ancient ninjas led by this supposedly mythological like figure in Shredder, and just everybody in New York knows about them. Yep, like everybody. The the, the CEO of of that company talks about them in his opening address and obviously it's just like you find out that he's a bad guy and is in cahoots with them if you will but still like 
it's just no big deal that there's an order of ninjas running around the streets of New York and and running the underground there. And I was just like, wow, every, everybody knows about this. That's wild. Like, they aren't very good ninjas. Like, no wonder yeah. the... No wonder yeah. the illusion is starting to die for Shredder <laughs> and the Foot Clan. Like everybody knows about them. Yeah, I think. I mean, that's that's another that's another one of those. You know, one of the one of the reasons. I, it's funny. The more we talk about this movie, the more it seems like I'm making the 1990 Teenage Mutant out to be Citizen Kane. But compared to these two, it really is. It is. But like, but but it's like that was one of the things I thought the 1990 movie did so well is that. You know, they made them so street level, but like also they go out of their way to be like they attack, they're gone, no one knows what they are, they don't leave behind a calling car, they don't do anything. And so there's a there's an element of mystery to them. To your point in this one, everybody knows who Shredder is. Like, I mean, like, you know, if every, everybody from, from CEOs to mutated rats know who Shredder is. So yeah, I think there was a that, that's a real big issue of disconnect in this in this first movie. Um I, I want to transition to the second movie. I do want to discuss one just like I I want to see if <laughs> if Al knows this this piece of editing. Um, Al, there's a part where Megan uh, uh, Megan Fox is <laughs> yeah. is getting ready to fall off the tower. Um, Shredder knocks her off the tower. The tower is falling as she appears behind shredder and is grappling on the tower i i can't can you can you like because we watched it twice i i I was i was doing everything i can to try and work within the physics of this movie i don't know how that happened uh only thing i can think of is megan megan fox uh she's going to defy the laws of physics in the second movie as well uh in a second Uh, we'll talk about that as well but like, how did she pull that off? But do you even know what I'm talking about? Um, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there's a lot of questions kind of surrounding that last action sequence of the movie. Basically, after their fight with Shredder stops, what happens from there to the end of the scene involving the tower, essentially, um, is really really weird. Um, because you have that happen, and to answer your question, no, I don't really know how she does that, but then you have the tower piece falling, and then the tower piece stops falling, mm-hmm. and, like, there's a bunch of clouds of dust and things like that, but from where I stood, I wasn't, like you guys, I didn't try to rewind and, and catch up with what's going on, but from where I stood and was watching it, it almost seems like that tower piece was like close to the ground, but was somehow like hovering in the air. Yeah. But it, it didn't show where like it had stopped. Like if it yeah. was being like sandwiched between two buildings and then, which makes, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but which makes the opening and central conflict of the second movie really confusing because the whole idea is that, like, oh, we have to live in the shadows. They can't know we exist. They wouldn't accept us. When that fight happens in broad daylight, and they're on the they're on the street. They're, they're in on. The, the, that is one of my favorite <laughs> editing tricks. They're on the ground. They're surrounded by literally a thousand people. And then the next thing you see is you see a, a manhole cover uh, 
you like flip over and so you're like oh i guess they got back into the sewer but they don't explain how they got from surrounded by a thousand people to into the sewer um yeah i mean to your point i mean i feel like somebody would have captured that on on an iphone um but yeah so no there's 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 a lot uh of of stuff like that that occurs and and when we're transitioning into the second one i do want i also want to ask uh al this um uh of the i don't know who is the who is the most uh capable when it comes to doing quick changes of outfits um but in the second movie when the second movie starts uh you know, we we get we get an ending essentially where the turtles go back into the shadows. Uh, Shredder gets taken away, or you know, gets captured and survives somehow. Uh, plummet, you know, to his death, but still he survives, I guess, because he's got the armor on. It's fine. Uh, yeah, it's easy. He's fine. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, so our our second movie kind of has a whole different uh, dynamic to it, uh, where now the big the big issue with the second movie is. You know, can the turtles exist in society? I half expected, I half expected, uh, is it is who who is who is the who's the um, the the head uh, uh, the head of the of the of the of the underground and Hunchback Nora name? What's his name? Oh, um. I, anyway, I have expected him to just like start us Crap. off with who is the monster and who is the man because that's what we're going into in the second movie. Clopin. Clopin. Clopin yeah. So like we're, we're going into we're going into into Clopin's who is the monster who is the man uh, in the second movie and that's what we're going to deal with. But we we got it. We got to get some ways. We got to go some some ways to get there. One of the ways we're going to get there is we're we're going to objectify Megan Fox again. Again. Um and so Megan Fox is trying to get uh these um uh the, these files off of Baxter Stockman's um uh computer. Uh for whatever reason Baxter Stockman just gives his computer away. And so we have this scene and everything about the scene is inexplicable to me. Because this guy's walking down Grand Central Station. He was in you all need to understand he was incredulous during this. I'm just scene. saying, okay. He's walk listen, I've I've been I've I've been to several Grand Central stations. Okay. I've never seen this happen. All right. I would have known if this had happened. Okay. He's walking down Grand Central Station. In the middle of Grand Central Station, there is 10 girls dressed in schoolgirl outfits, okay? Mm-hmm. Just just randomly, and they're just randomly taking pictures of people. I've never seen this happen. I've never heard of this happening, okay? All right? So what that does is it gives us an opportunity for Megan Fox to change into a schoolgirl outfit. So she walks through this kiosk, she grabs a, and she is wearing a white shirt and black slacks. She walks through this kiosk. We see her wrap up her shirt, you know, so that her midriff is exposing. We see her put on the skirt. Magically, her pants disappear. Okay. Now, once again, I want to know, somebody tell me, where did her pants go? This is an ed- the, the, somewhere we lose an editing where her pants go does she have a bill like and the thing is is like it like if she had been wearing like 
all you got to do, okay, I would I, I would have still been ridiculous because, once again, I'm still confused why there's 10 random schoolgirls in the middle of Grand Central Station, uh, you know, apparently for, on a photo shoot or something. Uh, so I'd still be confused by that, okay? I'd still be confused, okay? But if she just had, like, tearaway pants or something like that, I would be like, oh, okay, fine. But no. They're <laughs> just, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But they're just gone. <laughs> they're just gone. And so, like, so now we've got Megan Fox in this, so we can have, and the whole reason this happens, okay, like, is so that we can have Megan Fox in a schoolgirl outfit, you know, for 20 seconds in this movie, mm. okay? And, like, that to me is not enough of a reason to have that scene. Um, I, I look, there, and, and, and this is the thing, okay, here, I, I am a, pretty much a constant defender of Megan Fox. She gets a lot of crap she doesn't deserve. I remember I remember someone as good as Roger Ebert, who I respect as a as a movie person as much as anyone, talking about how she's got a natural presence. She's a good actress. I agree. She always gets put in these weird situations though, and got typecast in these situations where she has to be, she has to have one of these scenes. And the thing is, is like April O'Neil does not need that scene. And like one of the inner, one of the reasons I, I say I, I, it, it's very similar to how when I talk about um, Lex Luthor in Batman First Superman, I always I always just call him uh, Jesse Eisenberg because he's not Lex Luthor. Megan Fox is not playing April O'Neil in this. She's playing Megan Fox as we've seen her in a hundred different movies, and so like we don't get any any real like. She's fired as a journalist, uh, as a TV journalist, 20 minutes into the first movie. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, even though I thought about, I thought by about Whoopi Goldberg. By Whoopi Goldberg, okay. But like, I thought about this later. She has on her camera pictures of the turtles that she never shows Whoopi Goldberg. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so yeah, which is just weird. So she's a bad journalist. So she gets fired. Okay. What? Quick question. What is her job in the second movie? Um, she's doing something. What is her job in the second movie, Al? I hear the click of the computer as he's looking things up. <laughs> well, it see, it seemed like she was just kind of like a private investigator for the turtles. Then how is she surviving? I mean, it seems like they can keep her pretty well fed on a diet of pizza. And that's really all you need. I just, I I just, the, 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 they, they don't, and that's the thing. They don't establish this. This is a, this is a problem, you know, with these movies is they don't really, they take characters that have established, concepts you know that they've they've got established characters and they just kind of mess with them and april o'neill like i mean like you know it's april o'neill's an iconic character um you know she's not as iconic as splinter or the turtles but she's she's iconic she's she's the linchpin from where they're at in the sewers to the big city life she's the connection so she's important you need to give her things to do um to make her an important character. And so at the beginning of this movie, she's investigating Baxter Stockman for reasons. And we don't know why, 
We just know that like Baxter Stockman is connected to Shredder, um, and she's investigating. And that's and so she's a private investigator for the Turtles, and I guess that's what she does now. Um, and I don't know how she lives, um, but that's that's I get I I guess she survives by stealing stuff from kiosks um, because she's real good at it. She's got a real oh. good skill at it. But like I don't she's know. Nice. Ow, ow, over two movies, what did you think of Megan Fox in these in these two movies? Um, I'm happy to answer that question. I do. Um, I did some quick research right now uh, because um, if anybody <laughs> hasn't heard from him in a while, oh, it's fact checking boy. I'm glad to hear fact checking boys back. He's back. It's back. I'm back, baby. He's out of the um, shadows. He's out of the <laughs> shadows. He's out of the shadows. <laughs> um. I don't know if you heard about this, Josh. In the original cut of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, um, there was a scene where April O'Neil meets with an executive at Channel 6 News played by Judith Hogue. And, that would have been cool. Yeah, and she gives April not only her job back, but she gives her um, an even at her job as an investigative reporter, um, and they have a cool little interaction with each other. I think that would have been cool. That was cut out of the movie, obviously. That's a great scene. There's yeah, a, there's, a, there's there's a part in this movie where Bebop and Rocksteady compare their penises, um, and that made it into this movie. And that that scene didn't it? Yeah, that it's. I'm sorry. That's the world we live in, man. That is the world we live in. Okay. All right. But anyway, what the, I, I agree. That would have been a cool scene. Great callback. Uh, you know, a great callback to the first movie. Uh, that 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 scene would have made a lot of sense. Would have made a lot of people happy. So obviously, it's not in the movie. Of course. Um, but but back to my original question. What did you What do you think of Megan Fox? Yeah. So um, I'm actually with you um, about her as an actress um, in general. I think um, she's actually a really talented actress. I think she got, um, unfortunately, um, and a lot of the times, I think, pretty nefariously um, typecast as, like, the hot girl in action films, which um, is really unfortunate because she, I think she is a really talented actress. Um, She's had a few films where she's actually been able to show off um, her actual acting talent, which has been great. Um, I talked about her a little bit last year uh, when I did Horror Fest, uh, when I talked about the film that she stars in um, called Jennifer's Body, which is a really underrated horror film. Everyone should um, heck out. Um, It's on Hulu right now. But um, all that to say, I do think she's really talented. I think that Megan Fox did the best with what she had um, in these two films. I really do. Um, I think there's issues with April O'Neil as a character in these, um, but I don't think those are her fault. I think she acted the role that she she was written, which, um, and again, she does like, she does a really good job with the script that she has. Um, is where I land on it. Um, at no point in either of these films was I just like, oh yeah, like she's the she's the issue with these scenes. 
Like, <laughs> at no point did I think that. Because I do think she's a really talented actress. Um, but it's really, it was kind of weird watching the two films right after each other. Because she is like, she is like the plot in a lot of ways in the first one. I mean, she was there when the Turtles and Splinter were getting made. She was the one who rescued them. She discovers them again. Like, her dad is the one who helped with the experiments. Like, she is the plot in the first film. Um, And then in the second film, obviously, she's there, and she does a lot of stuff. But she isn't nearly as important (laughs) in the second movie. Um, She's just kind of there helping people out. Um, or doing like side objectives or whatever. Um, and so that was weird. I think the scene that happens at Grand Central Station that you talked about, I think that was a really unfortunate scene because up to that point, there were, you know, a few things that happened across um, the first film and into the second one where like there were lines about how, you know, attractive she is. Um, um, and like that, like from Michelangelo, there were a few from um, Vern, um, Arnett's character as well. And it happened a few times. But up to that point, I was actually kind of impressed with how not sexualized she had been. Um, and then you get the scene in Grand Central with her have her transformation and stuff. And that's when I was just kind of like, oh, that's a shame. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as as far as she goes herself, though, I do think she's a great actress. I think she did the best she could with the role she was given. To the point where I think back on it now, I'm not really sure who if there is a different actress I would have rather had in that role. Because again, she she does great. Um, it's not her fault that the character is inaccurate to what sh- she should be or could have been. But I can't think of a better choice who could have off that rope so it's funny you bring that up uh anna kendrick and elizabeth olsen auditioned for this role um both actresses who i have a have a real uh sentimentality towards because um, mm. I, I think they're both fantastic uh i think it would have been a really different movie with both of them because they're both at this at this point younger um, yeah. and they're younger than Megan J. Fox is, uh, Anna Kendrick might not be, but Elizabeth Olsen is, yeah. but, um, so it would have been, a, it would have been different, but I agree with you. I think Megan J. Fox is perfectly fine, uh, in the role. Um, and I think, I just think it's sad that they just didn't give her, and I agree. Second movie, she doesn't have anything to do. She's stuck one. So like one of the, Oh, here we go. Well, okay. But like, I'm ready. So, so yeah, so we're going to, we're going to transition to Casey real quick. Uh, corrections and, yeah, officer corrections Casey offer Jones. Casey Jones. <laughs> Um, I think the quote was, "If anybody would be shouting a cab, it'd be, it'd Casey, be Jones. Casey Jones." Yeah, yes. I, I don't, I don't understand. I, I have no clue why that was necessary. I didn't know that was a thing. I, Jake, did you... I, I didn't know he was. Okay, no. I, I knew Steve. Like, actually, honestly, honest, I'm being dead serious. Even though I know both of y'all know my opinion on Arrow, but like, dead serious. When I heard Stephen Amell's Casey Jones, I was like, that's a good pick. That's a very, very mm-hmm. good pick. Okay. It just it just makes sense. Um, and so like I I was, you know, I was I was ready for it. And then I'm like, he's a cop? Like, mm-hmm. are you serious? And his only goal is to make detective. <laughs> and his gosh. only goal is to make detective? What in the world? 
You know, and so like, um, but yeah, I, but she stuck for a lot of the movie with Casey. Um, there's a part where she spends around 30 minutes of the movie just stuck in a, in a, uh, holding cell with Casey or an interrogation room with Casey. Um, and like, this is what I'm talking about with, with basic, um, basic movie making concepts. Okay. If your characters aren't moving from scene to scene, then those scenes don't need to be two different scenes. This is just basic, you know? Um, and so like, there was no need for us to go back to them in the interrogation room three separate times. Uh, that's unnecessary because everything you can learn about them in the interrogation room, such as Casey's lifelong dream is to be a detective. You can learn in one scene. There's no need for that to be broken into three scenes, but they didn't know they didn't have anything for them to do. Uh, Casey gets wasted in this. I mean, you know, like uh, particularly for a character that, you know, has, you know, for all of our issues with him in the 1990 movie, um, iconic kind of character have, has an, has an iconic scene with Roth that I could quote the entire thing mm -hmm. to you. Um, doesn't have hardly any interaction with the turtles whatsoever, uh, except this weird random interaction where he tries to sneak attack Splinter and then Splinter just, you know, beats him down. Um, just, I just weird. Just like, and, and made me wonder like, why, why'd you even like, why'd you even spend money on this? Like, what was the point? Uh, Jake, I know you're the biggest arrow fan of the three of us. Is that, uh, is that what I am? You, of the three of us, you're definitely the biggest Arrow fan. I, I... Jake, is Arrow I, season two good? It's been a while. Is Arrow season it's, two good, it's, it's Jake? It's been a while since I've watched Arrow it. Is Arrow season two good? I, I, maybe. Al, is Arrow season two good? There are parts of it that are good. Okay, okay, all right. So but maybe I, Al is Okay, the maybe Al is the biggest any, But I see your... Okay. I get what you're trying to do here. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Talk about Stephen Amell. I, it says something nice about Diablo Cody. Um, no, there's nice things to say about Steve. There are. There are. Um, Heels looks good. Heels looks um, really good. <laughs> no. Um, uh, no, when, when I first heard he was cast, I was kind of like you. I was like, okay, that's it's, it's Casey Jones. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, like, that's that's a role that I'm fairly certain he can pull off pretty mm -hmm. well. Um, you know, the... I was kind of excited to see how they did a new interpretation of him with mm -hmm. Raph or him with the other turtles or anything. Um, we are, let's see, at that point, we are in season four or five of Arrow. So that is the season where things get good. That is, I could not air quote enough on that. Um, but, you know, that's, um, uh, you know, he, uh, the thing is people love him in that show. Mm -hmm. So like, even if like me or you or Al can be like, Arrow is a terrible representation of the character. Stephen Amell's still great. You know, mm -hmm. and he's still good. He's not, he's not the problem with it. Um, he's really good at voicing Green Arrow and Injustice. He's good at voicing Green Arrow and Injustice. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. You know, that's, that's the thing is we have seen him do good things. And so every part of me was excited to see him in this movie actually and then what we get instead is one he's a cop which doesn't make it it's it, it's like the old skittles the yoskoff korean you don't make a leave it a sense exactly, yeah. it, it literally doesn't make any sense at all that he is that he is a cop 
Um, you know, that's just something brand new. That's that was a Michael Bay decision, just undoubtedly. Yeah. That's there's there's and there's no way you can tell me otherwise on that. Following basically any Michael Bay movie, um, he he likes hockey. Okay, so that's so that's his thing. Is he likes hockey? So that's why he has a hockey stick, and he has a goalie mask. Um, but apparently, also is like Bullseye from Daredevil mm-hmm. when it comes to hockey pucks. Yeah, because I mean, there is a point. Homeboy, I'm telling you, homeboy. Listen, the New York Rangers could have used him that. They could have. They 100 percent could. There, there is a point where he hits a guy right next to April's head mm-hmm. with pinpoint accuracy you know just nails him um and then gets sidelined for the rest of the movie until he has to run away from bebop and rocksteady um but then the way that he runs away from bebop and rocksteady is that he takes a like rolling chair from an office and ties it and ties the wheels to his shoes and then does that and it just i i i have so many questions i don't know how the physics of that works i I don't either like like also like what was he using for tape yeah because because here's the thing it doesn't look like duct tape okay which could maybe get you get you pretty far but like like they stay on while he is running away from a charging rhino that is flipping cars like that Whatever he used for tape, like that should have been a product placement for all the other product placement that's in these two movies because they had to fund it somehow. That like Scott or someone should have come out and been like, "We've got the tape that made Casey Jones create the uh, create wheelie shoes." Yeah. Like, anyways, yeah. No, I'm that just. Oh, and also, April randomly pulls out a bat and somehow it doesn't end up in his hands. I know. Which that was weird to me. I know. Like, well, the whole like, I mean, you know. The the whole thing about Casey and the fun thing about Casey is that he's got all this different stuff in his golf bag. Yeah, that's you yeah. Know, like he's got a cricket bat. He's got a cricket bat. You know? He's got a golf club. And he's got he's Jose got, Canseco bat. He's he's got yeah. a, he's got a baseball bat. He's got a hockey so, stick. So you know, there that's the fun thing about Casey. So you you've already so basically what they did with Casey, um, essentially in this movie, and I would say once again unfortunate because then they were like. We've got to have something for. We've got to have something in order to romance the hot girl. So now we have Casey to romance. We didn't the want hot to girl. continue the Michelangelo stuff too. Yeah, we don't want to continue Michelangelo. <laughs> Although it shows up, it, it shows does. up in this. It does. Um, okay, we spent an hour and forty minutes just, uh, in my opinion, blasting this film. Uh, I do want to talk about a couple things I like. Uh, first and foremost, the tricked out garbage truck. Uh, is just I, I I loved it. Okay, uh, Al, am I being weird for loving that thing? No, no, I think that's a very acceptable. Yeah, to to me, you know, there there were uh, very real, like even even you know, Jake said he's like you know, um, even though he got his vehicles wrong, um, because you were like it's going to shoot the pizzas. Yeah, it was wrong. I uh, but I but know, like in the in in the in the vehicles that you can get, there is one that shoots out manhole covers, and so so once again in the second movie we have stuff now. Finally, in the second movie we have stuff that's there 
for nerds like me to be like, it's shooting out the manhole covers. That's amazing. Um, I loved the giant nunchakus. Uh, that was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, I was totally down for that. Most of that scene I was really into. Uh, I, you know, I'm uh, as as a as a movie person, I, I'm always I, I always gravitate towards movies uh, that show don't tell, um, which is a weird thing to say about this movie. Um, but this is the one time they do it because when you're going into the into the the uh, into the garbage truck, Donatello has made it so that everybody is comfortable in this truck. So Leonardo sits next to him. He drives. Michelangelo has a game station, and Raphael has something he can punch. And I love that concept. If you're so like, these are things that make sense. That like when you're watching it as as a turtle fan, you're like, okay, cool. You know, like Donatello's like, we got to give these two guys something to do. You know, in this, so you, yeah, Roth, you just use punch punching bag over there, okay, man. You know, like that kind of thing uh, is 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 really good storytelling. Uh, it's the only time it happens in either movie, but it, it, they did it one time. They pulled it off one time. Um, the other thing that I really liked about this, even though I did I did make a, I, I think the, I just think a lot of the the amount of dick jokes in these two movies is just, it's, it's really unnecessary. It's, it's, it's it, it just is. Um, you know, I don't think we need that in our, in our turtles. Uh, you know, I don't think, I don't think anybody, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I don't think anybody my age was like, I'm glad the turtles have grown up with me. You know, I don't think, and particularly when your way of growing up is to do, as you have eloquently put it, uh, dick jokes. Um, that's not, that's not really a grown up thing in my opinion, but anyway, other than that scene, uh, I loved Bebop and Rocksteady. Um, oh, great. <laughs> uh, Jake knows they're two of my favorite uh, characters uh, in all of Turtledom. I have been clutching a 12-inch uh, Bebop uh, throughout most of this uh, podcast to get me through it. It's kind of like a therapy doll. It is like a therapy uh, therapy doll. Um, <laughs> so it's it's been it's been helping me get through. Um, Al, I'm assuming you have very little. Um, experience with bebop and rocksteady uh what was your opinions of bebop and rocksteady in this movie um yeah i thought they were great i really enjoyed them um i think um i think they were a lot of fun i think they helped kind of lean into a more zany kind of classical tone for this kind of franchise um um and like, it was at a point where um, it was kind of weird because they acted to me up to a certain point. They acted the most realistically of any of the characters in in the movie that I was watching because you know they were hanging out on like a transport truck. Um, they had this super like super dangerous super infamous like super villain in the truck with them um and they were just kind of like oh you're one of like the ogs you're the real deal and they were like you know john with him and then they took every you know they took the first opportunity they got to break free themselves um they went to their old haunt and got the stuff uh they Eated um, after escaping, they took up a good-paying job with 
uber criminal they met. I mean, like everything they did made sense and it made them pretty realistic as far as like, um, yeah, if they were like career criminals who broke out of a prison transport, I can I can see why they would do these things. Um, they were very chill with the fact that um, they got mutated into weird anthropomorphic <laughs> animal monsters. They were pretty chill with that. But you know what? The more I thought about that, the more I was just kind of like, well, you know what? Like, they signed up with, like, a supervillain, essentially, to be his henchman. Like, and they got, like, superpowers out of it. Whereas a majority of people who team up with supervillains probably just get killed or at least get their asses kicked. Yeah, like, that's fair. It, it, it does kind of make sense that they decided to find the silver lining and being <laughs> horrible animalistic <laughs> monsters where they're just like, hey, like, I've, uh, we got superpowers now. This is this is actually kind of great. I like them a lot. I thought they were a lot of fun. Um, I think they did a really good casting job with those actors too because both of them were really, really um, funny and it was very convincing that they had like a prior relationship with each other. Like watching them felt like these were two criminals who had worked together, who had a friendship before they knew how each other kind of operated and acted. So, um, yeah, I was, if I'm being honest, like Bebop and Rocksteady, despite being some of the most over top things visually in the movie, um, they were almost like, they were almost the most grounded thing that happened in the movie as far as how they, how they were executed. Um, I like them a lot. Yeah, they were definitely my uh, my favorite part of the movie. Um, uh, the two actors are Seamus, the famous WWF wrestler, uh, you know, um, and then you've got Gary Anthony Williams, who I haven't seen in anything else. Do you? Uh, well, one, I, I love the commitment to the WWF. Um, secondly, yeah, you're right. um, secondly uh, he was in. He's been the Boondocks. He was in a bunch of like the Schneider shows, growing up, like Amanda Show, Drake and Josh. Oh, he's, really? he was like he was like a character actor okay. basically. Um, so he would just like randomly pop up for like like if they needed like a security guard for one of the kids, like pull a prank on or something like that. Gotcha. So like a lot of my generation grew up with him. Okay, you know? that makes sense. Um, well, he was he was pretty uh, he was pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I um. I think my favorite part of the whole movie was when they meet up with them in Brazil. Uh, that entire that that was the that was the that was kind of like the snow the mm-hmm. snow scene of this one. Um, but that whole thing was just fun. And when you got when Rocksteady gets on the gets on the machine gun and blows the plane away, and then people just goes, "Dude," he's like, "I know, I'm sorry. I just I just got carried away. It's my bad. Yeah, my bad. I got carried away. I don't, that was so like that." The other thing is, Bebop and Rocksteady are very true to who they are. Um, now, I, I, I say this uh, in the comics; they're a little more they're well, they're way more dangerous in the comics. But in the in the show, um, you know, in in really all iterations of the show, Bebop and Rocksteady are these two extremely overpowered guys that should be way more dangerous than they are, but they're both so stupid. Mm-hmm. And they were really good at portraying that. Um, they were very dangerous. You got to stay on your heels, but they're also really dumb. And so, you know, 
they're pretty easy to uh, to confuse and things like that. Uh, so I really I really enjoyed them. They were my favorite part of the movie. Um, I you know the I, I liked the crane in this movie. Um, I like the fact that I like the fact that we actually just got the crane um, in a movie to begin with. The crane is one of the weirdest things that the turtles have in their mythology. Um, you know, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a talking brain and it's a talking megalomaniacal brain. And so, and that's, that's a, and that's what he is in this movie. And the fact that somehow that got into a, a Hollywood movie is just amazing to me. Uh, even more amazing that Brad Garrett plays him. Jake, you picked out it was Brad Garrett pretty early on. Did you? What do you think of the Krang in this movie? I I love the Krang. Yeah. I I really did. So so I grew up with the 2003 Ninja Turtles. Okay, and do you remember how the Krang factors into the? In the I do. Okay, so for those of you who don't, um, the Shredder is not actually in the first two seasons of that show because it's actually the Krang in Shredder's in like a Shredder suit, which was a very big twist in the season two. Um, and really threw my head for a loop because I had no idea what was going on at that point. Um, but it worked because now they do the turtles, but that's a whole other, other thing to discuss. Um, I loved that one that he was used. I loved that he comes out of absolutely nowhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> in the, in his first scene, like, like they were like, well, where'd Shredder go? And I was, and I was like, where did he go? Because I didn't know Krang was in this. Yeah. Okay. I think you said you knew they were in this. I didn't know they were <laughs> that Krang was in this. Shredder gets teleported, and you want to talk about someone taking, uh, you know, just kind of taking one on the chin and just kind of going for it, like Bebop Rocksteady. The Shredder sees an alien <laughs> in a robot suit, and is uh, and and the alien's slapping him upside the face, and he's just like, "Well, I might as well make a deal to rule the Earth with it," mm-hmm. you know, which. Good, good on you, Roku. Like, just you know, just you're everything's coming up at Roku Saki today, guys. <laughs> you know, um, but no, I, I, I think you pointed out what I said is that Brad Garrett voicing the Krang, and you said my one hope is that he was in the studio with the biggest smile on his face mm-hmm. the entire time while he was voicing this character. And honestly, I agree with you. I hope that he had so much fun doing this. Because he does do a really, really good job. Yeah, he sounds like he's having a ball. Um, and uh, and also, okay, once again, it's weird to me that the Krang looked less horrifying than the Turtles, um, but the Krang looks more accurate to the show, in my opinion. Like the Krang, like Krang, Bebop, and Rocksteady all look really accurate to the show, and then there are the four Turtles. Um, and for some reason, the three villains all looked like really good and were just really easy to kind of take in. And then anytime the turtles would show up, it was the, it was the same thing as you said from the, fir- from earlier. Um, They're just off putting is the best word for them. Um, digi- digitally f- and physically. Um, But no, I just, I really liked Krang. I thought, I thought he was a good final villain. Um, You know, Technodrome. Great. I, I was so happy when the Technodrome was starting to get built. Like that's just, that's great. Um, no idea what their plans were for Shredder if they were going to do a third one. Um, but you know, hey, that's that's I mean, he's lost just, he's to time. There. He's just there and so frozen. He didn't die, so he's there. Um, you, know. you know, 
Um, but uh, but yeah, I just I love the Krang and and I love Bebop and Rocksteady as well. I thought they were way just so much fun. Just it's it's to me the three of them saved the movie um, and saved really just my, saved me really last night. You know mm. because for the first like hour and I must I must say actually his first solid two hours it was just. I, I wasn't having a good time, yeah. you know, and then then they all showed up within like 10 minutes of each other. And I was like, all right, the worst case scenario, that's going to be entertaining for the rest of the time. And sure enough, it was. Yeah. And and of course, you know, going back to, you know, issues, uh, you know, to to and now we've talked about what we like, um, you know, this movie, the second movie, like I said, I think is better. Uh, but it's only better because of those things. The plotting of this movie, I think, is really bad. Um, you know, I, just very, very basic, once again, storytelling <laughs> concepts uh, that you have to do here. Um, you know, Leonardo, of course, who is our is our leader. Um, you know, we the second movie is not the movie to have the are we a team or not con- it isn't, conflict. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, that's always an issue to me. Um, so that's that's not really the time to do that. And so we've got Leonardo, our leader here, who is uh, lying. And now and then what we're also doing is we're stealing from a lot of other movies. So we've got we've got a mutant cure. So we're we're stealing from X two. Um, or is that the X three? That is X three, isn't yeah. it? Oh, yeah. so we're stealing from bad movies. Yeah, <laughs> uh, with X three. Uh, but we've got we've got a mutant cure that causes a rift. Um, we've got lies about it, uh, from Leonardo, uh, I guess in some ways from Donatello. Uh, so that causes our rift between Leonardo and Donatello and Michelangelo and Raphael. So we've got a little fight there that we've got to deal with. Uh, and it's just, I hate it it's all just all, it's lot. all very yeah. like, just not good and not fun. And once again, your, your characters are not, they're, they're not strong enough to carry that type of uh, that type of um, storyline, in my opinion, um, I'm assuming they're trying to do some type of par- parallels of like prejudice in the real world and that kind of thing. But once again, this is just not the movie to do that with. Um, and also, like, and once again, this stuff might this might fly really well with you know like younger kids and everything. But you know, a lot of your the only reason to do a reboot is not only to try and get younger kids, but also get people that like it before. And so, like, we remember things like, you know, I love being a turtle, you know, and all that stuff. That's very important to the turtle mythos. And so now for, to watch our, you know, mm. our heroes be like, I don't know, maybe it'd be easier to be a human. You're just like, I mean, then nobody wants that. Like, no, yeah. I, I don't know anybody that's like, that's the storyline we need to go with. Um, and so you've got, you've got that to deal with. Um, Laura Lenny shows up and does, and Laura Lenny's uh, throughout the movie, <laughs> um, you know, just as like just really skeptical. I mean, same way she is in Exorcism with Emily Rose, same way she is in Primal Fear, and they were just like, just do your thing, Laura Lenny, and that's what she does. And even though it doesn't make sense, you know, because even though they've put a ninja in jail, the idea that ninjas would break the ninja out of jail is just way too much for her. Um, so that's how we got to get Casey kicked off the force. And like just, I mean, just like basic things like that are just like they just take you out of the movie. And so, like I, I don't know. By the, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, <laughs> like that aspect of it. 
Yeah. Like, I kept thinking, like, oh, well, they don't believe Casey because, you know, of the of the garbage truck. And I'm like, no, he doesn't believe Casey because of the ninjas. And I'm like, but you just locked a ninja up. Yeah. That's, I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, the, whole, weird that is. the whole thing there is that, you know, Shredder's a ninja. <laughs> yes. That, there's the quote, guys. Shredder's the a, whole thing is there's that Shredder's a ninja. Shredder's a ninja. <laughs> so, like, he, he would have, at the very least... <laughs> martial artists you know working for him so you know like you know that that to me is just not i don't know it, that that but that but you once again it's we've got we got points a b and c but we don't have anything connecting them so how are we going to connect them well i don't know bring in laura lennox she's good at this stuff and so you you've got all these you've got you know you've got a completely useless scene where Vern has to go and get uh, stuff off of a. You've already forgotten this scene exists. Look at that. I'm looking at Jake right now. Jake has forgot. I want you to know that there's a scene in this movie where Vern, played by Will Arnett, goes and pulls uh, security camera footage off of a security camera. Jake has no memory of it. It's a five to eight minute scene in this movie. Okay, and he has no memory of it whatsoever. Because that's how they get released. He has, he has, oh man, he has no I, memory of it. He has forgotten it. That was it has been less than twenty four hours. hours. He has forgotten the scene. <laughs> so, like, what I'm telling you is, like, there's so many scenes like that in this that even the stuff you like uh, just gets bogged down with all this other, you know, just useless stuff um, that just is not fun for a turtle movie. And then once again. We're we're gonna pull a Dark Knight Rises because either one of you, I'll, you go first, Jake. You can try. Explain to me how they how they how they overcome their central conflict in this movie. Their central conflict is is you know we don't know how to be a team. How do they overcome that? Uh, who do you want to go first? It doesn't matter. Just okay. If you can explain it, go for it. Uh, they walked out I of the got, sewer dramatically. I got five bucks for you if you can explain it. Okay. Did, did I win? No, you lost. No? Okay. All right, Al. <laughs> hmm. my, my pick was they they each walked out of their separate rooms dramatically. Um, and then Leonardo goes, what's happening out there, Donnie? And uh, that's, that's what I've got. They're all sitting in your scene. They're all sitting depressed. Mm-hmm. Because they have failed miserably, mm -hmm. because they're horrible people, yeah, and they're all sitting away from each other, mm -hmm. and then the Terradrome shows up. Technodrome. Technodrome. Terradrome. Terradrome's the, the, the Technodrome shows up. Which we didn't even do a Snake Eyes yeah, podcast. Yeah, we didn't, and we're not going to. <laughs> the Technodrome shows up, and uh, you know, and things start happening. Uh, even Laura Lenny can't deny the existence of the Technodrome, and <laughs> and then like then the, then the I wish that was a line in the movie. Then then the the turtles, you know, all just kind of look at each other, and Leonardo goes, "What's happening out there, Donnie?" So once again, I ask, how did they solve the central conflict of the movie? Because the conflict of the movie is. We're not a team, and also, you know, we want to we want to go out, but we can't because people will never accept us. So, how did they solve the central conflict of the movie? I want. Well, you see, there's a moment where they. 
have the space juice. I forget what it's called. I'm going to call it space juice. Um, they have the space juice that turns them human. And they're just like, well, you know, if we if we use this and we look human, we can we can head out and and stop the technodrome, and no one will worry about it about because we'll look human. Not no one will worry about it because there's an alien ship destroying New York. <laughs> but no one will worry about it because we'll look human. And they look at Leonardo, and Leonardo is just like, it's your call. Whatever you guys want to do, I'm behind you. And Raph takes it, and he smashes it on the wall. And they're just like, okay, let's go do the thing we were going to do if we had chosen to drink the space juice. And... And they go and they do it, and they're and they're okay. family now. But they're what has transitioned? Okay, here's. I'll take my five dollars. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. But here's the problem with that. Okay, what has changed between Roth griping at Leonardo in the plane and that moment? I mean, did you not see him smash the space juice against the wall? Like, what's going on? Very look. Here's this is what I'm talking about. Dark Knight Rises. It's very much the I'm an old man and I have a rope. I can cure your broken back. Very much. It's very similar to that because there's no there's no there's no change. There's no none of none of the status quo has changed. Other than Raphael has randomly decided. I don't know if it'd be good to be a human anymore. Okay. Another scene that I completely forgot about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Although you bring up something hilarious, their argument against that is is that their argument for being human is, you know, that'll give us the opportunity to stop the alien warship, mm-hmm. even though apparently I guess the NYPD is going to be like, there's an alien warship, guys. Yeah, but there's also four turtles. Let's mm-hmm. go get them. <laughs> That's that. But once again, that is what Laura Lenny has established. So, I mean, you know, that's that's where we're at um but no i there there's nothing there's no there's no change they just decide to be better and like that's just not that's bad movie making it just is um you know they once again we got to go to point a point b and point c we don't know how we're going to get there but you know we can't just have the turtles give up and let the technodrome destroy everything so we've got to have them stop it. So how are we going to have them stop it? Well, Raphael's going to be like, well, I think we'll be a team now, you know, and that's that's what they do, you know. And then they have a scene where they're all like, you know, where they're like, how are we going to stop it? You know, they're they're standing in front of half the NYPD, and like they do this real rehearsed, you know, with logic and with strategy and with heart, you know. And I'm just like, and I, I'm like, if the NYPD's standing there, I'd be like. So I guess the world is in is going to end because like like, they're like doing this. So like I don't know. It it, it's it's bad. I guess it's you know like I said, first movie. One of them had to be like I'm doing my thing about the city. This is not going to go well. The first movie is is horrific. The second movie is watchable, but it is it is really bad. Um, I'm gonna let you guys. I have I've griped enough. Feel like I've griped uh, too much uh, on this. Uh, Jake, overall. Bay movies, feelings. Um, I feel bad for how rude I was to Secret of the Ooze. Mm. Um, that's uh, yeah, you apologize to Vanilla I, Ice. I, I should have apologized to Vanilla Ice. Um, 
because Santa Blood Secret of the Ooze, it has a a very easy to follow storyline that actually connects fairly fairly well yeah. with everything else. Um, this has multiple scenes where things just happen, and you're like, I don't know why this is happening. Um, but uh, yeah, it. Um, let's see, overall ratings. Um, Out of the Shadows gets a very strong C plus. 100% on the incredibly strong shoulders of Bebop, Rocksteady, and the Krang. That are, they're the only ones who are saving that one. Um, the first one gets an F. The first one just gets a straight F. Like, I'm, you know... And, I, and I'm being very generous with that C-plus on the second one, I feel like. But uh, the first one just gets a straight F. Like, there's... I would I would not show that first one to pretty much anyone because I'll, I'll, honestly, like when Al said he had seen the second movie, I'd seen the first, and I was like, okay, well, does it not really follow? And then I'm like, no, you really don't need to see the first one, anyways. Like if you want to watch the second one to see Bebop and Rocksteady and Krang be, and have a decent amount of fun throughout some of the film, you know, okay, yeah, watch the second one. Don't even watch the first one. The first one's just bad. Um, because because the thing is, it's like. Even my favorite scene of the first one, which is the snow scene, even that doesn't even come anywhere near like some of the worst scenes in a lot of other great movies, including, including the 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which is still the best out of all of the films that we have watched, and everyone should go watch that like right now, and then go listen to our podcast covering it. Mm. Uh, Al, uh, how embarrassed should Carmelo Anthony be to be in this movie? <laughs> I completely forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot to bring up the other part of these t- two movies that made me laugh out loud was during um, the NBA game where DeAndre Jordan slips on a piece of pizza yeah. Going down, and he looks up at the ref, and he's just like, "There's pizza on my Nike." And the ref is just like, "Well, welcome to New York." Yeah, one hundred percent not how the NBA goes. Just so you know, and like it's actually kind of a, I, I, I'm actually shocked the NBA allowed that to happen because NBA is pretty, you know, I mean they're they're pretty strict on like how they, you know, like how they present themselves. We wouldn't know that from like Mike or something like that, but like. You do know what Like Mike is, right? Yes. Al, you know what Like Mike is? Oh, I know Like Mike. Okay, That's good. I just, just wanted to make sure everyone knew about the little Bow Wow movie where he I gets some Michael Jordan Bow shoes. Movie, but yes. anyway, um, you know, but they're pretty strict on how their rules are presented. And uh, if pizza falls on the floor, that's an automatic, uh, you know, like timeout. And like the person who has the ball would get uh, get the uh, ball on the on the sideline. I uh, just wanted to clarify that because that, that bothered me. Like, I'm just sitting here going, like, that is not the rule at all. You know, that's just not how that works. Um, so, but, yeah, that, that was great. DeAndre Jordan was great. And then Carmelo Anthony's random just, you know, like, that's if you ever want to know why Carmelo Anthony didn't reach the heights of LeBron and Kobe, you know, this is why. I mean, this is it. So, this is everything you need to know. So that's the thing. With Carmelo's role that was such a like that was such a non cameo that Carmelo had because I kind of I kind of compare it to if you want to talk about um 
appearances by NBA players in films. Like the one that immediately comes to mind for me um, is Kevin Garnett in Uncut Gems. Um, and he's there. And he's much more than just a throwaway cameo because there's an in-story reason why Kevin Garnett is in that film, right? Exactly. He has a function that he plays. Um, or there's, like, other reasons why other athletes show up in films. They're there because, you know, they're at a charity event for something or or what have you. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony is just, is just at this club and... <laughs> Will Arnett's character comes up to him and is just like, what's up? What's up, Carmelo? How you doing? And Carmelo's just like, what's up? And they talk. And Will Arnett is just like, you're just like me. You're a hero to this city. When I don't know how many NBA fans listen to this podcast, but I'm not sure I would describe Carmelo's tenure in, in New York to <laughs> paint him as a hero to New York City. <laughs> yeah, he would. Uh, just uh, just to clarify, he won one playoff series in six years. So, you know, uh, probably not a hero to the city of New York. Uh, but he's he's yeah. there. He's at this club and he just kind of like talks to Will Arnett's character for a few seconds. He he has this weird kind of reaction to Will Arnett introducing this woman as his girlfriend when she kind of offers a rebuttal to that statement. And then April O'Neil comes up and is just like, I need to talk to you. Let's go. And Carmelo is just like, I guess you should go talk to her. It's very, it's very weird. It's a very awkward scene. It's an extremely awkward scene. And, and like I wonder, and I wonder like what Michael Bay personally pla- personally paid Carmelo Anthony to show up in that scene because it feels like he doesn't want to be there, but, but he's almost obligated to, but it was very strange. Yeah. It was, it was a weird one. I like Carmelo Anthony a lot. Just throwing that out there. I think he's a very fun dude, but um, yeah, that was a weird one for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, since we, since we got that done and that was actually a specific question for you because I knew you, you'd enjoy that. Uh, particularly the hero to New York thing. Um, <laughs> Uh, but no, what do you what what's overall thoughts on these uh, on these two films, Al? Um, yeah, there's something, man. I mean, I feel like we kind of, at least amongst ourselves, we kind of hyped up these two films as a finale for this series a little bit, and I'm really glad that, I mean, this <laughs> this longer than normal episode, at least for me. Um, has held up to those expectations. It's been great to hear you complain about these movies. Um, I just want to say outright, um, I don't foresee myself ever watching either of these again. Um, as as somebody who does enjoy the second one for what it is, I think it's um, I think it's an action film with like uh, um, that has some fun. Um, I don't foresee myself watching either of these again. I could see myself watching the original. Um, I could see myself watching the other two originals as well, probably. Um, I'd probably want to watch those like with, um, with like my nephew 
in a few years or so. Um, I don't think I would show my nephew these last two films. Um, and then I could totally see myself <laughs> just sitting down to watch the 2007 animated film just by myself because it was so good. Um, but overall, uh, we give grades to these things. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to agree with Jacob on the second one. I'm going to give them a C on the second one, just because I do think it has a lot more fun. And that's what I want out of a TMNT film is to just see cool action scenes, see some cool fighting stuff and just kind of have fun with the characters. And I think that does a way better job of it. Um, the first one, that's, whew, that is pretty close to an F. I'm going to, I'm going to be a little more kind than Jacob was. I'm going to give it a deem minus just because I do love Megan Fox that much. Um, I just really enjoy her and things. Um, so just for her sake, just for my totally biased opinion, um, toward, towards really enjoying Megan Fox and stuff, um, I'll give it a D minus. But like, it's a pretty, it's a pretty fresh D minus. If we're going like academic grades, it's got like, it's got like a sixty point one percent. Like yeah. it's, it's pretty damn close to an F. You know, she's doing all of the work in in the group project there. <laughs> well, I um, here's the thing, and uh, this is this is how this is how we're gonna put this thing to bed. Um, if I had, and I, I've I've I think I, I think way too hard about this stuff. I know I do. That's one of the reasons, and I know we all do. That's one of the reasons we started this uh, little endeavor. Um, but like, if if somebody came up to me and was like, I want 10 movies that you know I you know me on a shadow of a doubt I'm going to enjoy uh Turtles 1990 would be one of the ones I'd pick you know if they were like just give me 10 movies I just want to enjoy movies I don't want I don't want to like think about the evils of the world I don't I just I just want an enjoyable movie Turtles 90 would be one I would give you okay and to have to be able to say that, and then to think about these last two movies, um, it's such it's such a missed opportunity. Because I was th- I was thinking, you know, I I was thinking about this, you know, a couple weeks ago, just how how much fun and how impressive the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles toy line was. And I, you know, everybody who's listening to this knows I'm an action figure guy, and so just bear with me for a second. The Turtles toy line is probably one of, if it's not the most impressive toy line, it's in the top five ever. And the reason it is, is because they really go out of their way in that toy line to think up fun ways to create uh, vehicles and play sets and outfits for these turtles. And they know that they can do whatever they want, because if you're buying into the concept of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, you're going to buy into just about anything. And so you have things like, you know, like a, a, a van, you know, that shoots out pizzas, you know, and you have things like a uh, like a scooter uh, that has a big giant fan on the back of it and a big, you know, pole in the front with a size 12 boot on it that you can like boot 
foot soldiers with, you know, uh, while you're while Michelangelo's riding it. You have things like a turtle blimp, you know, that's made out of little, you know, it looks like it's made from a junkyard, you know, stuff like that. You can pull that stuff off and you couldn't do that in the 1990 movie. The 90 movies handicapped by 1990 standards. The 2014, 2016 movies are handicapped by nothing. You could do whatever you wanted. You could literally do anything you want to do with this, you know, and there's so many opportunities to have fun, you know, and I think about that first movie and like, you know, at the end of it, they show you the turtle van and it's, and then it's gone, you know, and then in the second movie, they show you the, the turtle garbage truck one time and it's gone. And you have all these opportunities to have so much fun with these characters and to put them in fun situations and give them fun gadgets and all this stuff that, by the way, you can make millions of dollars off of if you sell them as toys because it's a proven commodity. You have all these opportunities to do this, okay? And I think about that, and then I'm like, this is the what you give us? Like, this is this is the, this, you have, you have all the opportunity to do all this, and this is what we get. We get, you know, this weird you know, dark, you know, gritty, off-putting version of the Turtles with a Jewish actor playing Splinter and, like, just, like, just weird, you know, just, like, a weird thing that's happening here. And and it's just, like, it's there's so much fun that you can have with it. And at the end of the day, it's just not fun. And so, like, I think you guys are being way too easy on this. I mean, I'm it's a straight F on the first movie. Uh, I will never watch it again. I wish I hadn't watched it the first time. Like I literally, like it's, it's, I'm Roger Ebert coming out of one of his, I can't, I think it's, uh, I I think it's the, I think it's Suburban Commando that he came out of. And he was like, sometimes people ask me if I question, you know, my chosen profession. And he's like, I don't until I saw Suburban Suburban Commando. (laughs) This is my Suburban Commando. That first movie is, is it, it it's 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 there of Batman for Superman with me. It's that bad. Uh, the second one's not as bad, but it's still not good. So for me, it's it's a straight F and a like a D minus for these two, and I will never watch them again. And I'm very unhappy that I had to do it this first time. And uh, and I just like I hope the next time because the turtles will come back again. They always do. And I hope the next time this happens, we get somebody that actually understands the franchise and sees it as more. As more than just like a cash cow, I understand all these movies are exist to make money. I'm not naive enough to think of that, think it that way. But I just think, you know, let us have a little fun with it, you know, and let let's let's have let's have turtles that aren't you know horrible human or that well they're not human. Let's just have turtles that aren't horrible characters and a splinter that's not abusive and you know a shredder that makes sense and you know April O'Neil does things and. Casey Jones isn't a cop, and I'm just like very basic things you can change here uh, that would make things better, and they're just not there. And so I'm, it's just a really, really depressing, uh, uh, really depressing situation. These two movies, and uh, and I don't, uh, I don't ever envision uh, seeing them ever again. Uh, so um, don't ever make this another Patreon thing ever again, okay? Because I don't want to do it anymore don't talk to me or my son ever again yeah don't talk to yeah so there we go on that note can i just say um this whole series happened because we do have a patreon uh we're fandom correspondents on patreon.com we have various tiers and one of those tiers you can pay a little extra 
and tell us what you want to see next. Now, um, it was um, it was Josh Dix who paid for this one, right? Yes. Yes. Good. Um, so yeah. thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, yeah, Dave. So, <laughs> so, so Josh Hicks, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, we all appreciate it. Well, I don't know um, if Y Sage appreciates it, but Jacob and I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Uh, just putting this out into the universe. Um, if you enjoyed this right now, you can always throw us some cash if you have it spare um, and say, hey, how about y'all do like, I don't know, the Transformers films. And Josh is going to be obligated to do that. I so if you enjoyed this episode, um, just want to kind of kind of put that out in the universe there. Uh, that could be an option. That yeah. could be an option for us. And I never want to watch Transformers 3 ever again. So, you know. <laughs> oh, my God. I that'd forgot be, about that. That'd be a thing. Yeah. So that's an option. But, you know, there's other options. There's other things you guys can do. Uh, that could be more, maybe more fun than that. I don't know, but uh, yeah, we're gonna. This will put a nice little, nice little seal on the turtles, and uh, so we've got. We it took us about a year to get through about all that, of them. Yeah. So, uh, but we we've we've, we've done, done this. We've been doing other things in the meantime. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, uh, ho- if if you if you do get on the Patreon, you do uh, ask for something. Uh, we will, we will, we promise that we will be better at least try to get these out a little quicker. If, mm-hmm. if there is another series you want us to do, if you have enjoyed this, uh, thank you. Uh, and, uh, once again, you know, we always tell people, uh, Phantom is for everyone. Uh, sometimes that's a little harder to say, uh, than other times, <laughs> but I, I will always, will do our best to say that, uh, fandom is for everyone. Uh, even even if you like these last two movies, say the line, Bart. Yeah, say the line, exactly. <laughs> but uh, as always, we do appreciate you, know, you guys listening, and uh, we're very thankful uh, for the opportunity to do this. And we hope you guys have a have yourself a good time and be safe wherever you guys are at. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, non-binary friends, cowabunga. <laughs>